0: The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to see everybody tonight. Uh, Most of you know we'll have small groups, so if you haven't already put a name tag on when we break up to go to the small groups, it's good to have a name tag. Makes it easy for people to get to know each other. And in case I forget to say it later, we have one more week. So next Monday will be week 11. Then we're going to take quite a break because I'll be um, on retreat and leading some retreats through much of April and May. And then uh, then there's the June practice inten- community practice intensive for the first three weeks, almost three weeks of June. And so the Buddhist studies class will begin around Monday the 20th. I forget the exact Monday, but it's in that area of June. And we'll be doing the practice of integrity, looking at the eight precepts for lay people that the Buddha um, offered. And this is the teachings on non-harming. So we'll be doing that this summer for six weeks. And then a a two-week class at the end of the summer on loving kindness and compassion. So that's what's coming up and I mentioned last week, I talked a lot, or most of the evening on the fourth foundation. so this is the teaching, as you might remember, and I think will, I don't think it's up yet, but it should get up soon. But the Buddha is basically mapping out in a more specific way how awakening happens. So we notice the hindrances, we notice what's in the way of settling, right? We settle enough, and then we can work on transforming our relationship to this, right? So we remove the hindrances that just keep the mind from even being present. And so now the mind is present, and then we get the next list, which we've been talking about last week and tonight, the five aggregates and the six sense gates. And I'll talk in a moment more about this, but it's, so now that the mind is somewhat settled, we can take a fresh look at what this present moment experience is. So instead of, well, it's me, which is the ordinary way to relate to the present moment, we can say, no, it's one of these six sense gates. It's a contact. S- a sight is being seen. A sound is being heard. A thought is being known. A sensation is being felt. Right. So that provides an alternative. Right? We're training with that map so we have an alternative to well, this is me, or this is happening to me, or that's my sight, or my thought. I can say, oh no, it's just that contact. The mind is sensitive to thought, sensitive to sight, sensitive to sound, and a sound arose, and the sensitivity is receives the impression, and consciousness knows that impression, and that's sense contact. And when there's enough wisdom, then that's, That's enough, but, of course, there's always a feeling tone. So if there's not enough wisdom, the feeling tone will delude the mind, right? It will feel like, oh, that's a feeling I'm feeling. What do I think about that feeling? And then mental proliferation, right, the perception and all the content we have about having that kind of feeling, the spinning of our mind around having that kind of a feeling, Goes and goes. So it doesn't matter how, you know, when the mind's quick, maybe, oh, it's just contact. But generally, we need a feeling tone to sort of encourage wisdom to do its job. Oh, this hurts, or this feels good, right? Because it's a more gross movement, the reaction to feeling tone. What that evokes kind of a stronger thing. We can see the reaction to pleasantness or the reaction to unpleasantness or the ignoring of neutrality. It stands out a little bit. So then when we have this new view, right, instead of oh this is an experience happening to me, we can just say, well it's just sense contact being known. Then we can develop the seven factors of awakening and then in a more subtle way in that really calm, from that really calm place, we really understand the arising of suffering. So when we use the five aggregates, which I mentioned last week, and the six sense gates, it's not so much, the Buddha's not trying to tell us who we are, oh you're just the five aggregates, or we're just these six sense gates. He's asking us to see or to know, experience in this way in order to understand how this sense of a suffering, me suffering arises. It's through, because when we have this alternative to saying well this is happening to me, I can say oh sense contact, sense contact, sense contact is being known. Things settle down a little bit more. And then when Suffering re-arises when we forget that it's just sense contact being known. And we, the mind reacts because of its habits, right? There's feeling, and, and then craving arises in relationship to the feeling, becoming the whole mass of our personality beginning to express itself as somebody who wants to hold on to this feeling, somebody who wants to get rid of this feeling. That really stands out. So in other words, we can't study suffering and the end of suffering when we're a suffering human being. You know, it's always this chicken and egg, and this is what I talked about last week. We need to settle down, and then it's more obvious, the suffering and the ending of suffering. So when we can, you know, like in in terms of the the guided meditation tonight, when you can get a sense that you know the sort of sensitivity of the heart constantly being impinged upon. There's sound, there's sight, there's thought, there's sensation, there's sight, there's sound, you know, one thing after another, or maybe like Sensation is really predominant. But then even that is sensation, sensation, sensation. It's the the mind has a thought. No, 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 it's just one sensation, that it's continuous. But it's not continuous. It's just like whenever we look, that's one contact. That's a moment of contact. And it's because of the superficiality of our attention that we um, we sort of put on experience this continuity, because that fits better with the sense of self. This is happening to me. But when we see the rapidity of sense contact, it has a much more alive and impersonal feeling. But we have to train the mind to see that way, because the habit is to sort of uh, move away from sense contact to the idea that my chest really hurts. It's really tight. Or my knee aches. Or there's that disturbing sound. So it draws this sort of... It has a mental impression, like, I don't like that sound. And then that thought, that idea, can get renewed. It is renewed over and over again. But because it's similar, the mind doesn't see repeated contact. It seems like it's a permanent truth, you know, that, oh yeah, there's that disturbing sound. So we have to actually train the mind to see in the staccato way. Now, you're, like I said at the beginning of the guided meditation, we're not going to catch, there's no way. I don't even know if a Buddha, maybe, I mean, theoretically a Buddha can do anything, that's sort of part of the mythology, but I don't know any practitioner certainly not myself, that can catch each mind moment. But it doesn't matter how many mind moments we've missed because there's always going to be another mind moment with the system sensitive and something's going to make an impression in whatever moment mindfulness is there and then we just recognize it. So we're training the mind that whatever it is that's being known, it's a contact, it's a sense impression. The sensitivity was there and now the sight has just happened to arise and is making an impression on the sensitivity of the eye or the sensitivity of the ear or the sensitivity of the mind that knows thought or the sensitivity of the body that knows sensation. just there. And if the mind, if there's enough wisdom that understands it's just that contact, then the feeling isn't so important because the contact knowing it as just a contact is very impersonal. But If not, the feeling will be interesting to the mind. Oh, this doesn't feel like much of anything, so I'm going to ignore it, or this feels really painful, so I'm going to want to resist it, or this feels really pleasant. So then we can just stick with the feeling tone and practice not getting confused with the feeling tone. But if it's already too late and the feeling tone has led to some reaction... Well, then, what is that reaction? So, this is like why some people like to memorize, you know, either the three um, unwholesome roots, like greed, or aversion, or some expression of delusion, denial, distraction. Or you can memorize the ten fetters that I mentioned in the guided sit sense desire. Because sometimes when it's unpleasant, like I was feeling a lot of. Uh, Sensation in my chest, and uh, but when my mind wasn't stable, then I tuned into the unpleasantness of this, and as I was tuning into that not that there was this physical sensation, but that it's unpleasant, then I started to notice like little flickers of wanting something pleasant. oh, maybe I can eat something, but these were just very little. Flickers in the mind, or oh, I could do this later, right? Because oh, that's the that's the mind not wanting to be aware of the unpleasantness, so it's going to sense desire. But see, the sense desires related to the unpleasantness, and the unpleasantness is related to the sense contact. It's just sensation. But I, this, the stability, the wisdom in the mind wasn't enough just to be with sensation. So in a way, we back up and go, okay, well, it's unpleasant sensation. And then try to stabilize there. And if we can't, oh, the little sense pleasures, the little sense desires that are arising, that's what the mind does when it doesn't want to be with unpleasant sensation. Right? So there's always something that the mind can stabilize around. The more refined and subtle, the more powerful the concentration, and the more insight is available. But we just do what we can do in any given moment. So the, just so you have the list in your mind, and you can Google the ten fetters, sense desire, ill will, conceit, wrong view, self view, you could say, doubt. So you see the hindrances are in built into the ten fetters, Uh, attachment to rites and rituals or to routines. If I do this, everything will be fine. You know, just sort of... Like we do that being formulaic in our meditation practice. You know, like, it worked before. I'm going to just do this. But it's the attachment that makes it not work. That's not an alive practice. We're attached to the routine itself. Uh, Desire for existence... To become something, I want to become. Envy, jealousy, greed, just wanting, and ignorance. Now, when we're using the six sense gates, we want to remember that there's nothing inherently wrong with being a sensitive, whatever this mind-body thing is here, that the fact that it's sensitive, we don't want to pathologize the sensitivity, and we don't want to pathologize the fact that there are sense objects that are being known. And this is very common in spiritual life. Like, right, uh, is Richard here tonight? I always make fun of Richard a little bit, not really make fun, but Richard is like one of the world experts in using the flotation tank. Richard Bach, he's often here in Buddhist studies, so a lot of you know him. Um, using the flotation tank to explore the different dimensions of the mind, you know, because in that really refined place where you're not having a lot of unpleasant sensations, if it's set up right, and especially if you've been training and it's dark and there are no sounds, but you're floating in really salty water, so you can relax without like going deep in the water where you, water splashes on your face because they put a lot of salt in the water. So you're just floating there, dark, silent, temperatures, body temperature, and it's uh, conducive, especially if you've gotten used to that experience, to deep states of relaxation. But... Uh, Part of the, the thing that might attract us to that is like if only there weren't so many noxious sense experiences, you know, it's like glaring or, you know, obnoxious sounds or sights that are harsh or thoughts that I wish I didn't think. And, you know, it's like we can imagine spiritual liberation is getting to a place where everything is soft Sights are soft, sounds are soft, thoughts are soft. You know there's nothing harsh, there's nothing disturbing. Of course, that's a hopeless endeavor. No matter how long you stay in that flotation tank, you have to leave, or you know, get to your peaceful bedroom, you know you can't stay there forever, or wherever your life is a little softer and less harsh. And so then the other thought would be, well, if only, okay, I can't make the world nice, so if only I I didn't see or didn't hear, didn't feel things, didn't think things. So this is like a desire for non-existence. Not wanting to be a sensitive being as some kind of spiritual pursuit. So obviously, that's quite nihilistic. Like, I can't wait until I die because then I won't be sensitive, and it will be such a relief. We feel that way at night, don't we? A little bit if we've had a couple hard days, and a little bit fried, been pushed around a lot. It's like we just want oblivion. You know, Give me deep sleep. Just let me have a little space. And it's like it's not that different than saying, I just don't want to be alive anymore. And then, you know, a little bit like we imagine in sort of Buddhist cosmology where the mind stream takes rebirth after the physical death of the body. um, You know, we take rebirth on Tuesday morning when we wake up. There we are. Oh. (laughs) Sensitive again, you know, feeling things. So there's that famous story. A lot of you know, of course, and it's famous in part because it involves a layperson, not the Buddha, not one of the nuns or monks. This uh, layperson, Chitta, was his name, and a student, a very good student of the Buddha, but not a monastic. And uh, he liked to hang out with the different ascetics, both the Buddhist monks and nuns, but also other sort of wandering ascetics that were where he lived. So after the meal, he'd go out just to have Dharma conversations with them, and they were, he came upon this group of monks debating, you know, whether the problem was the fact that we're really sensitive, or is the problem the fact that the world is harsh? You know, what is the cause of suffering? The fact that we're really sensitive beings, and if somehow we could lose that sensitivity, we'd be set, or if we could find a world that wasn't so harsh, we'd be set. Because that's like, the heavenly realms, which exist in Buddhism as they do in other traditions. You know, this idea, maybe reality, but this idea that there are these more subtle and very refined and very pleasant realms. And if I could just get myself to one of those really beautiful realms, it would be great. And in Buddhist cosmology, yeah, it would be great until it ends and then you know you're an animal again or a human again or in a more dense realm gross realm where there's the suffering is more gross more intense more in your face so it's a little bit like you know in a more mundane sense that perfect vacation you know where you're in that beautiful warm tropical breezes or whatever the perfect vacation is for you and Everybody's nice and everything's pleasant, and you can afford it, and you know it's just right. You don't drink too much or eat too much, but you just—it's just, it's just you know, all the all the sense delights are just as you like them. But you then have to go home, right? It lasts for a while, and then you have to go home. So they were having this debate, and then Chita came came up and heard them and asked them what they were talking about, and they explained that they were. You know, there are two sides of this issue. And then they asked Chitta, what do you, what do you think? And he gives, gives them this analogy of the, you know, let's say you have an ox cart being pulled by two ox oxen. And they're yoked together with that wooden thing. And he would say, he said to the, the monks, he said, well, would you say that this ox over here is a fetter to the other ox? Or would you say that this ox over here is a fetter to the one on the right? And you know, they weren't dumb, so they said, well, neither one is fetter the, the fetter. The fetter is the yoke, that wooden thing that ties the two ox together. And just so, Chitta says, because it's not the sensitivity and it's not the great diversity of sense experiences, the the impingements that we as sensitive beings are impinged or we have as contact. It's not the contact. It's not the sensitivity. The problem is what the mind does with it. That's the yoke. Those are the fetters. right? That in this always, in the Buddhist teachings, it always comes back to right versus wrong view. Self-view versus not-self-view. So, we think god I wish I wasn't sen- I wish I weren't so sensitive or god I wish my sense experiences were nicer right cuz we like sensitivity when it's pleasant right there's nothing it's like if you're going to eat a really nice meal it feels much better if you're feeling really alive I mean you know you can be served something really delicious but if you're dead to the world it doesn't matter much Or if you're in like a beautiful place but have a terrible cold, it doesn't matter. But even when you're, you know, even an ordinary pleasant experience, if you're really alive, like, you know, how you feel after you've been in the sauna and then cold, ice cold water, and then sauna and ice cold water. You did that a few times, and then you, you know, you walk outside, you're clothed, you're dry, and everything is beautiful. You know, the mind is a little bit brighter and more purified, and even ordinary things seem nice and beautiful or coming off of a retreat. So the problem is this yoke, and that's what the work of the six sense gates or the five aggregates reveals to us. You see why it's a beautiful setup for what we're going to talk about next week, the um, four noble truths, suffering and the end of suffering. Because by training with the six sense gates and the five or the five aggregates, remember the five aggregates is just a, a different view on this. So the Buddha offers us two views on this, and they're quite related. The five aggregates is saying, this is body and mind, right? And there's body, and then the mind is seen as the feeling tone, the perception, all the mental formations, which is basically everything else, and that it's being known, consciousness. And then he says, and and he basically teaches, and these five aggregates should be seen as not self. They're just mind and body being known. And then the other way is through the six sense gates, which is very similar. So you're just, instead of body, you have the five physical senses, contact through sight, through sound, through touch, through smell and taste, and contact through mind. Mind knowing mind. So let me just read a few things that the Buddha says in terms of the impersonal nature of these things, and then we'll break up into small groups. Let me just mention one thing too, just because I brought it up in the guided sit, and uh, it's really Interesting, especially in terms specifically tonight talking about the six sense gates. So if you do get, when you're doing your meditation or just generally in your life, and you're, you've been training your mind to notice things as sense contact and this, this, the, the staccato nature of that, right? It's, it's always one mind. I mentioned this a while back in the course. One mind moment, one moment of contact. And to, again, initially as information, you take it in now as a concept, but then just see if that concept illuminates, aligns with the actual experience. So what the Buddha suggests to check out is, so once you start seeing your experience in terms of a moment of contact, a moment of sense impression, followed by a moment of sense impression, then notice that the sense of me, the sense of I, with that sense contact, And then the next sense contact, each one has a sense of I. Then train yourself to see, to discern that the I isn't the same I. It always, like superficially, seems like the sense of I, the sense of me in each sense moment, sense contact is the same. But that's like a thought that it is the same. But when we actually check, you'll see, yes, that each moment there's a sense of self, but it's not actually the same sense of self. Because what the mind discerns is that that sense of self is fresh. It's, it arises with the contact, right? All those, like with the five aggregates, there's, let's say, a touch, so that's the body, and then there's a feeling, and there's perception, and then the mental formations, that's like what the mind constructs out of it, like this is happening to me, and all of that's being known. And so this is what we mean by me, specifically the mental formation part of it, but we see that mental formation as a contact, as something that's arising in this mind moment. And then when it arises in the next mind moment, It's a new construction. Obviously, this is subtle. So again, this is where it's nice to kind of get it conceptually that the sense of self, the sense of a me or an I or this belongs to me, possession, that that is fresh moment by moment by moment. The habit, of course, is this mental projection. It's like a repeated thought that's never seen no, no, it's the same. You know, this is all me. It's always been me. It always will be me, right? So there's this thought that is not seen, but we can train to really notice. Oh, oh, oh! And for me, like in terms of my experience, what what it is is it's subtle, but just noticing that, as I talked about earlier in the course, that the mind moment is. Uh, is its own unit it's its own reality it literally has a flavor of its own reality and then there's it and you get this sometimes when experience seems really alive really bright and then just bring this information to mind like you're just noticing the sense of its personal but you're noticing that it's also staccato that the sense of self is arising anew, moment by moment. It's always there, It always it's very familiar because this sense of self is very related, similar to that, the next sense of self, which is why the belief in continuity is so convincing. So you have to, this is why we're, in Buddhism, the pointing out instructions are so important, because who among us, if we didn't hear an instruction like this, would just like in the course of our day say, you know what, I think I'm going to pay really close attention to the sense of self and to see whether it actually is new in every moment. Because that, sup- that superficial sense of the sense of self having continuity has all kinds of terrible consequences. Right, it, like it really sets in motion the unshakable conviction in a permanent self that never comes and goes. It's always there, this permanent essence, which then makes every sense experience seem personal, which justifies the struggle to get rid of unpleasant and to hold on to pleasant and all kinds of neurotic activity. So the fact that the Buddha had this awakening and then could articulate some of these skillful means, like if you pay attention in this way, you might have a breakthrough moment. If you do it sincerely enough, with real interest, as if it matters, things might shift. You know, and I I remember, you know, day in, day out, like especially with my walking practice, really just playing at this point in practice of the freshness of the sense of self, like the staccato nature. So the experience has a moment of mind or a moment of contact, moment of contact, moment of contact. One mind moment, one reality followed by another. Everything arising fresh. Because things get very light and free in that way of seeing things. I'll just end with this quote. No, I I think I'll just break the group up so you have plenty of time, given this is our last time for small groups. So in the small groups, what I'd recommend is, um, so we've been talking now uh, the last couple weeks about this experience, the present moment experience, in terms of the five aggregates or the six sense gates. So just sharing with the small group about... um, being able to shift your experience of the present moment using these maps, right? Can you, what have you learned or what's been in the way of seeing the moment in terms of the five aggregates, body, mind being known, or the six sense gates being known? And the difference, too, between when you look at the mind and body with when wisdom is present, And when wisdom isn't present, right? So how without wisdom, very quickly going to one of the fetters, with wisdom, what happens? So you're looking at mind and body with and without wisdom. Remember, mind and body is just another phrase for this present moment, right? This present moment is the same as mind and body being known.